the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to the best of Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Insightful, informative, irreverent. We're ready. 1220 KDOW presents Rob Black and Your Money, your source for breaking news, market updates, and successful investment strategies for the 21st century. Sounds like a great program. Getting you to retirement in today's market. So let's get on with the show. Taxes, family finance, insurance, the economy, technology, media, and entertainment. Rob is talking about it with you at 800-516-1220. So call in. We'll chat and uh, have some fun. Now to start your day with a latest news and market commentary. Here's Rob Black on the Bay Area's business leader, 1220 KDOW. Welcome in, Rob Black and your money. I'm Rob Black. Typically, one day a week, I do not do market updates. I try to get a little bit big picture. Oh, the space economy. Let's talk a little bit about this. You've probably heard of SpaceX. You've probably heard of Elon Musk's business. Eventually, they're going to come public. You might have heard of Jeff Bezos. He's got a, a project uh, that's space-focused. Not getting as much press as Elon Musk. You're going to hear more and more companies get into the space that once was dominated by Boeing and Northrop Grumman. There's an ETF out there, which has got a great name to it. Not a great name, ticker symbol. That's what I'm trying to say. UFO. And you can start your research right there on companies that have exposure to space. I bring this up in large part not as a buy recommendation, but to try to give you an idea of what's out there for you to start your research on so that you can consult a broker advisor before taking any action on anything I say. You can start coming up with ideas for yourself. Um. In no way, shape, or form is this going to be the end-all, be-all Bible of space investing. But it's a good place for you to start. UFO. It's got names like Tremble, Loral, Orbcom, Maxar, Viasat, Gelat Satellite, Virgin Galactic, Iridium, Utelsat, Cirrus XM, are we going to really count satellite media? Why not? Let's talk space economy for uno momentero, which is Spanish for one moment. I used to say it's Mexican for one moment, and then people got mad at me. So I don't say that anymore. 
kind of funny that someone is that naive doesn't know the difference between Mexican and Spanish speaking and you could, it shows you how, how dumb of a country we are at times, right? It was meant as a joke, but it was a play on how ignorant we are. Anyway, I'm digressing. Let's go back to 1957, shall we? October 3rd, the world was a peaceful, lovely place. October 4th, the Russians sent a rocket into space. It set off a full-blown Sputnik crisis in the United States. The idea that you can put a satellite in space with a nuclear bomb and it can drop on the United States whenever they wanted it freaked people out. My brother David, a little bit older than me. <laughs> I'm the young, pretty one of the family. He told me stories of scrambling under desks in school. School children were hiding under their desk in case the Russians dropped a bomb. It's not going to work quite like that, but we were naive. Politicians had to answer to my mom and dad calling them up and saying, hey, my son, he's hiding under a desk in school. He's going to grow up to be a weirdo if we don't stop this paranoia. So that's when President Dwight D. Eisenhower jumped into action. And he said, we have to meet the Soviet technological challenge. Now that to you means space race. To me, that equals... Um, dollars it equals investments and we're still stuck in a space race now maybe between richard branson elon musk jeff bezos god knows who else is out there right but those are the the action figures that we would look at right now so eisenhower said let's get into this and we got into it poker we're in we had dreams of moon landing. We had thoughts of boldly going where no man has gone before. There's a great, for me, great. There's a, Netflix, a documentary on Netflix on the guy who played Spock, Leonard Nimoy. It's a little self-serving because it's, it's produced by his son. But it really shows you, like, we didn't know what the heck was going on. And he was a TV star, and he got into it, and he was like, well, people from space might have pointy ears. People from space might have a cell phone, a communicator. That Steve Jobs had to look at it and goes, I could do this! I could make that! The meeting the Russian threat, we needed to invest in microscopes and test tubes and Bunsen burners and incredibly expensive gadgets. Out of the space race came Owens, Illinois, which became Owens Glass. They make tiles to keep the rockets from burning up and exploding. Corning Glass, publicly traded. Texas Instruments was the integrated circuit maker. Do you know who the number one buyer of integrated circuits were in the 1960s? In the United States, the number one buyer was NASA. Space exploration, it would benefit many, many industries. It underpinned a post-war economic boom. It powered a prosperous America. And we kicked the Russians' butts. There is a, a show on Apple, or it's Apple, right? That says, what if 
we didn't win the space race? What if Russians did? What would have been the difference? It's a great if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, so what a party we'd have kind of show. Do you know where the space race came from? We can thank Nazi Germany for this one. They hoped to turn World War II with V-2 rockets into guided ballistic missiles. V-2s in 1944 rained down terror from northern England to Lorraine. A final German offensive was all about getting into the atmosphere. It's about getting into space. American and Russian forces secured as many V-2 rockets, scientists, and technological secrets as possible. And that's what started the Cold War. One company that came out of the Sputnik era, again, early on, Russia kicked our butts. They got the first satellite into space. They got the first dog into space. They got the first man into space. They got the first woman into space. We beat them to the moon. Kind of, sort of. The space ace, the space race laid a lot of golden eggs. Fantastic golden eggs. Um, AT&T. They wanted to launch satellites, their own artificial moons, as they said. In 1962, they launched Telstar 1. It's a satellite that's still up there and spinning around the world, but it's not working. GE, Westinghouse. They eventually merge, right? Um, but out of the 1960s integrated circuits came the 1970s, and Atari's new electronic game, Pong, found across the better bars of the country. Integrated circuits became important computers, mobile phones, modern civilization. So when you take a look at this ETF UFO, start thinking about we're in a space race again. What Tesla and Elon Musk is doing with SpaceX, they've launched really, really good satellite internet really good not as good as broadband but it's really really good get excited by the space race ladies and gentlemen pay attention i'm rob black talking all things financial Portions of our programming are brought to you by our good friends at Provident Credit Union. With 21 Bay Area locations to serve you and your banking needs, visit ProvidenceCU.org. Now back to Rob Black and your money with your host, Rob Black, on the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money investing. COVID became a pandemic one year ago. Normalcy is starting to come back. We're still seeing shocking stories of young people getting diagnosed and some young people getting very complicated complications. When you hear a story of a 15-year-old distance runner having the lungs of an 80-year-old woman, you're like, whoa. We don't know the extent of this. Rare earth metals market is producing big gains. This one's fascinating. 
you know, the things that we love, iPads, iPhones, AirPods, Teslas, rare earths are needed to make everything from smartphones to display panels to speakers to televisions. China currently dominates the market for the commodities. A lot of people think World War III could break out because of rare earths. It wouldn't be that much of an espionage thriller. But it does bring into you and me to the, the non-espionage thriller level of how much should we really care about China and the United States relationship? Should we invest blindly and act like it doesn't exist? So far, that's worked pretty good. Rare Earth Elements haven't spent much time in the investor spotlight. In the investor spotlight in the last year, COVID was a big story on the pandemic and supply chains. But these metals are needed for our most crucial technologies. Rare Earths refer to a group of 17 elements that have a variety of uses. They're used in everything from oil refining to aircraft engines to creating permanent magnets that have tons of applications. The magnet feed rare earths. It's a, a rare earth called neodymium. <laughs> neodymium. Oh, let's, let's, get, let's get Rob tripped up and throw another final word at him. But demand for these magnets uh, critical for cell phone companies, for electric vehicles, for wind turbines. There is a Van Eck Rare Earth Strategic Metals Fund, ticker symbol R-E-M-X, R-E-M-X. It's up 63% in the last year. It's up 14% this year. Demand for powerful magnets are poised to see the sharp growth in the next decade. Rare earth magnet applications are forecast to account for roughly 40% of demand for total rare earths by 2030. Is this an area that's investable? Yes. Is it an area that you should go all in on? No. With its tight grip on rare earths, it's no wonder China has taken the advantage of that in the past. Considering restricting exports and trade disputes with the U.S., the World Trade Organization found in 2014 that China had set limits and duties on rare earth exports that had breached the group's rules. So it could be a power play at any point in time because it already is a power play. There are some academics and people in Washington, the Department of Defense, who are like, we need we need this stuff. We should invade Australia. General, we can't invade Australia. They're our, our ally. Well, they got some of it. What do you want me to do? Invade China? Uh, there's not a lot of places to get this stuff as of now. Remember how Roblox came out and made billionaires out of its original founders? Kathy Wood bought on the first day. She's the uh, Church of What's Working Now spokesmodel or the Church of What's Working Now pastor. 
I have nothing. I have no ill will. When I say that, I'm saying it almost with like, dang, what'd she do so right to get in the spotlight? But she bought on the first day. That worries me that we're now, hmm, what's the word? I don't want to say idolizing. But we are following her very, very closely in financial media. Elsewhere out there, jobless claims fell today, but the pandemic's toll is still quite evident. Um, It was a better-than-expected number. Do we need as much stimulus as we're going to get? No. Probably not. Would it be wise if we waited and saw how much of a pop there truly is? Maybe. I get it. I love the Elon Musk stories. Last week, Elon Musk lost $20 billion. This week, Elon Musk has made $20 billion. Jeremy Siegel's seeing the market up another 10% this year because of COVID stimulus. So if you have a stupid little app like an Acorns, if you have a stupid little account where you're putting $150 a paycheck into it, if you have a 401k, a 403b, Jeremy Siegel saying the overall S&P 500 kind of stock market will be up another 10% this year. That's good. That's pretty darn good, especially so far seeing what we've gotten this year. Do I know Jeremy Siegel? No. He has been more right than wrong, but he's also been betting on things going up for longer than shorter. And again, first segment, I talked about how stock market's making this easy. It's, it's, it goes up every day. Like, I don't even want to look right now to see, oh, we're going to open up 10 points or 100 points or 1% or 2%. But the Dow Jones Industrial Average closed a record high of 32,297. I can think of one stock missing out in the big rally so far. It's Apple. But Apple had a big year last year. And a big year the year before. So to me, um, sometimes it's pulled forward a little bit. Sometimes it blends together. Sometimes instead of looking for one year, we should be looking at two or three years of data. Siegel thinks investors will still prefer to be in stocks over bonds, particularly those in cyclical sectors that benefit from an economic reopening. He thinks tech stocks will outperform, he thinks overall, I'm sorry, reopening stocks will outperform tech stocks. So you know how we've had that big battle this year? He's talking about the 2.5%, 3% bond yield assumption. But what if we get 4 to 5% inflation? Dividends go up with inflation. He thinks dividend stocks are a thought for some investors at this point in time. But when bond yields arise, you take a double hit, being in bonds, less purchasing power on the bond. If the bond falls in price, you can't take advantage of it. It's intriguing how dysfunctional bonds can be in the short term, especially. Find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com.
back to Rob Black and Your Money with your host, Rob Black, on the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing, and more. I took a class in college, and the professor, it was a class on welfare in America. And that's one of the better, that was one of the more interesting, more fun, entertaining, costly parts of college was picking out your class. It's like you could take a sci-fi class. You'd go sci-fi literature and you're reading Ray Bradbury and Arthur C. Clarke and just the, the greats, right? And then the teacher would come to class and one kid would say, it would start to ask the teacher about Star Trek the night before. Did you see on Star Trek the next generation, that tricorder? I think that was totally a faulty image. And like the professor would talk for 50 minutes of class and then just say, okay, let's talk Arthur C. Clarke. And it just pissed me off because I wanted to talk about the great ones, right? Um, took a class on welfare in America. Not sure why. I think it probably fell under my sociology or the history angle of my degree. I took Russian writers. I can tell you all about Dostoevsky. Theodore Mikhail. I got it all in the head still. But one of them was on welfare, and it taught me something that is deeply disturbing. America is broken. If you try to solve welfare in America where some people have fallen on tough times, and we're supposed to be the country that helps each other out, we get angry about it. Um... Oh, that person doesn't deserve food stamps. We need to do drug testing. Seems like a no-brainer, right, on one hand? But then you go like, he has a kid. Are we going to keep food off the table of a kid? Well, he's just buying cigarette and alcohol with it. But he has a kid. And then you see the welfare of um, someone from West Virginia. And their daddy's daddy was a coal miner. And their daddy was a coal miner. And they're a coal miner. And like, we don't have coal mines anymore. Oh, yeah, we do. And we have some low-income states that have low-income jobs that people feel stuck in. So someone on welfare in West Virginia is going to look very different than someone in Atlanta, than someone in Texas, than someone in New Hampshire. I don't remember. This, this was kind of humor from about 30 years ago. But there was jokes going around late night TV about homeless peoples wanting to move to California because it was sunny and the state gave way more in benefits. And you're like, whoa. No one wants to be homeless is the idea that we all should get behind. But there was something passed in Joe Biden's $1.9 trillion COVID-19 relief legislation that somehow is controversial and it is tied to children. Under the legislation, the American Rescue Plan, American families can claim up to $3,600 per child under the age of six and $3,000 for children up to the age of 17 for one year to help combat the economic damage of the pandemic. Also in this, there's some support for elderly dependents, people who are not up to the age of 17 and on their own but still living under the umbrella of mom and dad. 
So $3,600 per child under the age of six and $3,000 for children up to the age of 17. Right now, the current tax credit is $2,000. Now, again, how of a messed up company country are we? We're pretty messed up. I know friends that have no children, and they're like, why, why, why are you getting money? Because you had a kid? Because you couldn't, you couldn't not make a baby? And let's say you have sextuplets. <laughs> like, you, people can get mad at that and go, well, six kids all under the age of six. Are you really making $23,000, $24,000 off the U.S. government just because you had a baby on a Friday night? America's fractured. There's people that think that way. $2,000 a year for a kid is nothing. And trust me, parents are, are, are pumping a lot more than $2,000 in diapers, a lot more than $2,000 in baby formula. Babies help the economy. And I know you're saying, whoa. And that's why 10 years ago when the millennials were still living at home, we were worried uh, you should be out making babies to help the economy to help raise taxes in the future. Joe Biden wants to make that expansion to $3,000 per child up to age 17 and $3,600 per child up to the age 6 permanent. And the Republicans don't. Something tells me if Trump wanted to make it permanent, the Democrats would have said, no. That's not totally true, but we can't agree to disagree. It's significant increase going from $2,000 to $3,600. Under current law, families are eligible to receive up to $1,400 per child if the, tax, if the amount of the tax credit exceeds the amount of taxes owed. It phases out when income exceeds $400,000 for a household or $200,000 for individuals. I get that, putting ceilings on people like, well, you're wealthy, you can, you can afford children. It's a very controversial statement that I just said. Um, it was something that was was pushed pretty hardcore, that welfare class in college that I was talking about. The guy who taught the welfare class, he was he worked under the he was in charge of welfare under Jimmy Carter's administration. So this was a college I went to pretty close to Washington, DC, so they had a, a pretty good political department as far as staff careers. But what are our priorities as a nation? The proposal could cost more than $110 billion for the year of the expanded credit was in effect. So do we want to add $110 billion forevermore going to our deficits? Is it worth it? Should children be eaten? Should no child in America be hungry? That seems like a noble goal. That seems like one we should all be behind. Senators Mike Lee of Utah and Marco Rubio of Florida backed a proposal expanding the credit to 3500 but tying the benefit to you having a job. So if you have a job and you're creating some taxable income for on the state and on the federal level, and you're probably spending some of your job money in your own local town, so the local taxes, state taxes, federal taxes all benefit from you having a job. But they're also looking for a little bit more money. 3500 for children under 6 and 4500. I'm sorry, 4500 for children under 6 and 3500 for kids up to 17. Again, I'm not a legislation wonk. 
I cannot 100% tell you that this is exactly what was thrown down. But it should help a lot of Americans and a lot of children. Um, and there's no study out there that says if you give people a tax credit that they go out and spend it on heroin. I'm just, I don't know. For some reason, I, I don't know if this is going to be popular with the people or not. But it does start really bringing up the concept of, is our taxation system fair? Because like I told you, I have some friends who are like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of my kids was born December 31st. And it wasn't lost on me that I got a tax credit for that year. For one day. Did I give it back to the government? Nope. In theory, he'll be out of the house 364 days earlier than normal, but who knows? But taxes play a pretty important role in our lives. Um... And how do we support them? It's easy to tax people who smoke cigarettes. Ah, oh, they smoke cigarettes. They're going to be in the healthcare system at some point in time, and they'll only have $2,000 for the deductible. But then after that, the state or the government's going to have to pay for their care. I get it. Let's tax smokers. Oh, soda. Kids are obese because they're drinking too much soda. They're going to have diabetes at early onset diabetes and they're gonna be a tax to our healthcare system which is heavily subsidized by taxpayers sure let's tax sodas people who drive cars make pollution pollution uh, hurts our lungs lung cancer kills people oh let's tax let's tax every mile we drive no let's just tax the car but i only drive 12 miles a day i drive 200 miles a day i don't drive at all i have an electric vehicle let's give them a tax credit like Taxes are pretty complicated, and it's, it's overly problematic. If we could ever go back in time and redo our tax code, I'm not against a flat tax idea. And again, I'm not, I'm not legislation policy smart enough to figure it out. But we have an IRS that employs thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people. And they have problems figuring it out. Bit of advice is never date a college, never date an IRS agent. Just when the breakup happens, you're going to wonder why you got audited. <laughs> just, just between you and me, don't do it. I've been audited before, and just for the record, it's not that tough. Um, I got a letter from the Social Security, and it goes something like this. You say that you owed X. We say it's X plus 3%. And we're going to charge you an extra 1% interest until you pay it back. Unless you could prove otherwise. Okay. Kind of picking up what you're putting down. Kind of. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial money investing and more. Anything that you want to talk about, we could talk about. Um, markets are making it easy for us. What do you think about taxes? Do you have a different opinion on taxes than I do? It's fine if you do. We don't have to agree. You can find me online at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Went to the moped store with shoppers. Salesman's like, what up? What's your budget? And I'm like, honestly, I don't know nothing about mopeds. He said, I got the one for you. Follow me. Ooh, it's too real. Chromed out mirror, I don't need a windshield. 
banana seat, I can't be on two wheels. 800 cash, that's a hell of a deal. I'm headed downtown. through the alley. Now back to Rob Black and your money with your host, Rob Black, on the Bay Area's business leader, AM 1220 KDOW. I'm Rob Black, talking all things financial money, investing in more. Anything that you want to talk about, we can talk about. Show dedicated getting you to retirement. Trying to give you a little strategery. A word that was made up (laughs) that got blasted on television and kind of emblazoned itself in my brain. Strategery. When I say it, I kind of want you to stop and go, he's got that word all wrong. Now, what's he talking about? Talking about investing, talking about retirement, talking about creating wealth. If I could use a funny word to catch your attention, I'm okay with that. Um, one of the things I think, you know, we're ta- I'm talking a lot about insurance today, am I not? Talked about how my neighbor got, uh, she did everything wrong. When uh, a scam artist contacted her and said, you know, your Amazon account has been compromised. Let her down a series of questions. And you know, when she was telling me the story, I kept saying, that can't possibly be true. No one would ever po- give them access to their computer. No one would give them the account numbers. You know better. You've heard stories. And she fell for it every single step of the way, even though she knew she was being scammed while she was being scammed. Her credit card company is going to make right and stop the overall fraud. Um, I don't know the, all the details. I'm happy when I did ask her a question. I said, was it a credit card or was it a, a debit card? And regularly she said credit card. She never said debit card. I'm like, whew. So later that day I came in, talked to my spouse, and uh, I'm like, give me your debit card. Let's let's destroy that right now. And she goes, no, no, no. I use my debit card to get money at ATM. So I'm like, really? Don't we live in a cashless society? Do you really need cash all that often? I'm like, how about you put it in the kitchen drawer, and when you need it, you go get cash. So we kind of compromise there. Debit cards have unlimited exposure to if you get scammed, if you get hacked, everything in your bank account can be drained. I'm not sure why. I've never had enough intrigue to get an answer to this. But credit card companies will cover anything over 50 bucks or anything over $100, depending on your credit card. It's somewhere around that limit. So when she said that they got $4,000, her limit on her credit card was $4,000. And she's probably only going to be responsible for the first $50 to $100. And then the credit card company will make her fill out paperwork. The credit card company will do an investigation. The credit card company will file it as loss. And next year, that credit card company will probably do something along the lines of um, offer more reliable people like myself credit cards knowing that they're going to get their transaction business from everything I use credit cards for. Uh, maybe they'll offer it to another, I'm not going to call her a wackadoodle. Uh, maybe they'll make another mistake and get it to someone who doesn't understand the security ramifications of passwords and keeping that information private. But it's all math. And I learned that sadly in a business class when one of my friends in college gave a presentation about how her friend, um, who I didn't know, had been bankrupt two or three times already by the age of 23, 24. I'm like, how's that possible? That's not possible. 
Like, how would you get a credit card that fast? That's how it happens. Credit card companies know that you're going to have problems paying on time, and they make money on that. I'm not saying that they're in some sort of weird collusion. Like, they know that you are going to be – but I think that there's some truth to that. It's a numbers game. So I guess the the final lesson of the day is, you know, debit cards you have a lot of exposure to. Losing them, having them stolen from your uh, wallet, your purse, your mailbox. Credit cards, not so much. And that, I think that's one of the more shocking things that 25 years ago when I started doing financial radio is that I would say things like, I like credit cards. But the conventional wisdom is credit cards have a high interest rate, and they do. And I don't like – I never carry a balance month to month. Now, I'm very fortunate. I would classify myself – I'd classify myself as wealthy or responsible. Um, I never put groceries on credit Actually, I will because I like the credit card points, but I always make sure to pay it off. And I'm like, ooh, my grocery bill of $2,000 this month feels really high. But if I was doing it on a weekly basis, you, you see where I'm getting at with it. Credit cards aren't problems. Credit cards aren't evil. Credit cards are actually a great resource for points, for vacations, and a great resource for they do a good job of showing you what you're spending your money on. You can look at your statement every month online or you can import it into a, a – an online budget tool where it's read only, where there's no writing, there's no ability to steal your data. Um, or is there, right? What do you really know about what that flu vaccine you're putting in your arm? Um, it's got Bill Gates medical information. Like, no, 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 no. So I'm a big fan of credit cards used responsibly. I have no problems with them. It's tool. To me, it's like a mortgage. I have no problems with a mortgage. Some people are like, oh, you should only buy a house with cash. I'm like, that's not right. Here's a financial guy who talks about buying cars and homes with cash. I'm like, who can do that? But what he's trying to say is, I know you're not reliable to service your own debt. Therefore, pay cash. And I love the idea. I just don't think it's realistic. When cars and homes keep going up in value... And our wages aren't going up in value at the same level. I think a mortgage is an amazing tool. I think it was more amazing before the Trump tax cuts that took a lot of the deductions for mortgages just away on more expensive mortgages. But again, most of America doesn't have a $700,000, $800,000 mortgage. So for me, it hurt. But for the average Americans, we didn't see that much. So I guess let's wrap up and say... Your credit card is a tool. Your mortgage is a tool. Use them responsibly. If you can't service your debt, don't incur debt. Don't keep adding to it. I know that's easy for you to say, Rob, I've been out of a job for six months. Still wrong idea is a credit card. Family members is much preferred to it than a credit card. So again, credit cards aren't bad. That was the whole point of the segment, right? Let's do them responsibly. Find me online at robblackshow.com.
retired general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.